Welcome to Gold Ribbon Conversations, the podcast created to support families fighting childhood cancer in Ireland. Six children, adolescents and young adults are diagnosed with cancer every week in Ireland. And the Gold Ribbon, which illuminates precious light and love and courage and compassion, is a symbol of strength and solidarity for each and every one. My name is Sinead O'Moore, and it is my privilege to bring you these episodes on behalf of Childhood Cancer Foundation Ireland, a charity funded by and led by parents of children with cancer, who know that one of the greatest sources of support for this fight is conversation. Throughout this podcast, I talk to survivors, fighters and parents who have lost, as well as the experts who care for our children's health and happiness. Yes, we talk about the fear and the sadness, but we also talk about the hope and the friendship and the community that exists here because you are not alone. As a non-government funded organisation, Childhood Cancer Foundation Ireland values every single donation while on its mission to help more children survive cancer and thrive as adults and support all those dealing with the long-term effects of illness and trauma. You can help by sharing this podcast and by texting GOLD to 50300 and donating four euro or visit childhoodcancer.ie for more. This episode celebrates the life of Max, a little boy who was full of courage and who will never be forgotten. And here, Max's incredible mother, Kathy, joins us to support other parents in their grief. Max was diagnosed with neuroblastoma two weeks after his second birthday in 2012. For six years, Max fought cancer, but true to his name, lived life to the max. And then, the day after his eighth birthday, in his dad's arms and with Kathy's hand on his heart, Max gently passed away. Kathy's favorite thing in the world is to talk about her little boy, to remember the joy and the fun, the love he brought into their worlds. Through talking, honoring, and connecting with other parents who understand her loss, Kathy has found a way through her grief and here hopes to now support all those who need help. Kathy, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast, um, which is all designed to support families who are fighting cancer, have experienced cancer and have lost children because of cancer. And you are here today to talk to me about your son, Max. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your little boy, Max. Well, unfortunately, Sinead, I'm the one that has lost the child, but I, I, Max is my favorite subject, so I'm so pleased to talk about him. Max was diagnosed with neuroblastoma cancer when he was two weeks after his second birthday. And he went through a full 18-month trial and cleared, and then a year and a half relapsed again, and then cleared again, and then six months later relapsed again. So after six years, he was put on palliative care, and he lasted about six weeks, and he passed away the day after his eighth birthday. So, so young. A lot of his life spent in battling cancer, like he literally had you know, two years of, two years without it, six years battling a, a lot of um, 
hospital stays and things, but a lot, a lot of fun that he, he did in those six years as well. So like we were lucky that way. Talk to me about those very first signs and symptoms, because I know, you know, parents, they're so in tune with their children. They, yeah. they spot things a mile away, but also we have this instinct in us. Yeah, it is. I, a lot of parents that I've spoke to when um, that children were diagnosed, it is a mother's instinct, really. Like they've just, they've been told it could be this and it could be that, but they're just, and it's not that they're um, big worries or hypochondriacs. They just don't they just feel something's wrong and it was kind of the same with Max. Max was, he was two and he was out on a ride on with his daddy cutting the grass and it went into a ditch and he got off and he had a limp. So I brought him to the doctor and he did an x-ray on it and he said, no, he didn't look, maybe it was a bit of flame, so just to give him neurofen. And he was two, but he was a very slow talk. It was really just, yes, no, you know, didn't say very much more. And um, so I gave him neurofen for about a week. And I remember even saying to my sister, I was saying, um, oh my God, he's addicted to this stuff. But I didn't realize because like neuroblastoma gets into the bone, the bone marrow and the nerve endings. So it is a very painful cancer if it's not been treated or pain, under pain management. And, um, and like one day he'd run down the hall and the next day he'd crawl down like an old man. Like, so it was just about after another week, I thought, no, I'm not happy with this. So I brought him back to the doctor and I said, and it was just so funny. I brought him back to the doctor. It was a day that he skipped into the doctor. You know, what I was saying, you mightn't believe me, but some days he looks like an old man trying to walk down the hall. But it, then I tried to make him run in the doctors just to show him. And so he's seen the kind of a limp. Then he said, OK. So he asked me, would I bring him up to Mullingar um, casualty to the paediatrician there? So I brought him up and they had a look at him and they decided to do bloods and they... Um, came to us that night and said they wanted to keep him in for CT scan. They did the CT scan the next day and then they said that they, they were 99% convinced he had this cancer neuroblastoma, which I'd never heard of before. And we were allowed to go home. They were really waiting for a urine test from Beaumont Hospital to confirm it 100%. And once they had that, they'd be in touch and like sent us home saying, don't look it up because you'll only frighten yourself. And of course, I went home and I'm, I'm looking neuro neuroblastoma. I'm convinced it has something to do with the brain because it's neuro. Like, you know, went up and did look it up and did frighten myself because a lot of the information on it is years old and you don't know what you're reading and what you're not reading. But um, they could rang the next day to say that it was confirmed. And then the day after we were on St. George's Ward getting his um, Freddy in, which is the line that they have to get bloods and their chemo in. and that the next day starting chemo it literally is like and I know a, a, fr a friend of mine or daughter has recently been diagnosed here and um it's literally your life changes completely in a matter of a couple of days like and I remember even saying to her, I spoke to her a couple of days after her child was diagnosed she was like I don't know how, what how I'm going to do this and I said you will be so surprised how quick you get into the swing. I was at a, a party with her years ago when Max had a limp and I said, Max has a limp and I don't like it. And I probably have only seen the girl two or three times since then. It was She's a friend of my sister-in-law and she said her little one started limping and she brought him to the daughter to the doctor and the doctor treated her like she was a hypochondriac, you know, so sent her home with Nurofen and she went up to Mullingar on the Monday and insisted they did bloods. And they, they were like, we don't just start with bloods. Like, you know, they were, um, but she insisted they did them. And then she said, she knew before they even told her because, you know, now they're being very strict in hospitals and she's all of a sudden they came in the room being very nice. And do you think your husband can get come up here? Like, you know, so she's before they even said it, that they knew that she had. But like I was saying to her, she kept saying to me, it was Max that saved her, Kathy. It was Max that saved her. And I was like, yeah, but you've got to give it to your 
motherly instincts as well that was like no I'm not just accepting that it's grown pains like you know so um that's when we started treatment and we had six months of um five days of chemo every 21 days and then he had um stem cell transplant it's stem cell when it's your own bone marrow mm-hmm. and so they take his bone marrow out and then they, you have a week of very very intense chemo like it's nearly 24 hours and then they they um put transplant the stem cells back in and that's a very it's a very hard part because the child gets very sick and um you're in isolation and we were in that all over christmas and everything and it's literally just one person in the room with them there's no visitors allowed and while he was in there he got vod which is a complication with the liver that they can get from and he ended up in um the icu for that for a few days and his lung collapsed and um then once he started recovering from that then we were home and even when you come home like you have to open a, a new fresh like packet of ham every day a new sliced loaf a new butter everything has to be just that day so you have to do that for a few months as well then he had um radiotherapy on his adrenal gland because that's where the the um, original tumor was that was for like um 15 day monday to friday three weeks in a row and that was because he was only two he had to have a general anesthetic every day for that so that was heading up to luke's every morning like the radiotherapy itself was very quick but because they put him under and they'd have to wake up and then he started on an immunotherapy for six months which was taking high dose vitamin a and um for one week for two weeks and then a week free and then a week in hospital getting antibodies in there and that was like when he he was after that he'd cleared and and he was in remission for about a year and a half so um it just sounds so much oh it it is yeah tiny little body Mm. how how did he adapt to everything that was happening to him like i think because he was so young it, like I remember even the first few times when you go up to Crumlin, when you head to Crumlin Hospital and you come off the motorway, you're like you're on a, I don't know, is it the five mile road? I don't know, but there's all there's a load of trucks, mm-hmm. you know, and cars. And what, like, I used to see him, he'd be in the back of the car. And once he'd spot that, you could nearly see him just, because you couldn't say to him where we're going. Like, you know, and he'd be in the car and he'd be like, van, truck, van, truck. And then he'd kind of realise where he was heading and he didn't like it. But um, like by the time he was, out of hospital, he, like the the nurses and the staff, the, the nurses, the doctors, the cleaning staff, the catering staff in Crumlin, they're all very very special people that work up there and like, um, make it as enjoyable as they as it can be for, um, a child. And once he was like, he wasn't in pain, or getting treatment, it was literally just, like we could have twenty four hours of fun because he mightn't sleep till three four o'clock in the morning. We could be sitting watching Peppa Pig or coloring until three o'clock in the morning if that's what he wanted. Like you know, mm-hmm. so he kind of got used to it. And then by the time he relapsed the first time, he didn't even remember what he went through. Mm-hmm. That was all a uh, distant memory for him. Like so, it wasn't even you could kind of say to him then that you have this because he broke his femur bone the second time. He had a, a, a tumor on his femur bone and we were going in to get a biopsy on it and the day before the, he fell and the um, femur bone broke. But like you could kind of tell him that this is like superpower, even his, his blood transfusions were super, super power juices, like, you know, and he mm-hmm. could, um, you could explain it more to him then. So it wasn't too bad. I remember the first, one of the nurses said to me the first time, she's cancer is as big or small as a word as you make it. You know, like mm-hmm. once some people hear cancer and it's just automatically. So like 
Max and Millie be like, oh, no, you know, Max has cancer and Max has cancer. And like, you know, it was, it was a word that was used that wasn't scary mm-hmm. in our house. Like, you know, so, um, but I think the age of him, it was easier to go through and trying to explain things in a child's view. He just knew that he had a pain and this, he might have to sit there for seven hours getting chemo, but it was all to, while he sat there, we had fun. We did everything. We played with his wrestlers or whatever. And then he'd get to go home at the end of it. Like, you know, so his age had a lot to do with making it easier. How did it feel when he was first given that good news that he had beaten us? Describe that moment, describe that life that came after. Oh, it's just, it was just like, it was like winning the lottery. Cause I did, it's the one thing it does get any parent with us, any parent who've gone through sick, any person that's gone through sickness themselves or any parent that's gone through like serious sickness with a children, you do realize your health is your wealth. Like, you know, and uh, like, I remember even, actually, I remember it was our wedding anniversary because we got married the 16th of September. Our first wedding anniversary, we weren't even talking to each other because we were in the middle of a treatment. I remember my husband bought me flowers and left them in the car and we didn't even speak to each other. Like, you know, because it was real hard in the middle of treatment that, and it was um, our second anniversary. And I was like, that was the best news that we could have got. And um, even I remember I bought my, his, Max's godfather runs a printing shop. You know, he prints T-shirts and mm. he prints them a T-shirt. Um, Look at me, I'm cancer free. <laughs> and um, I put it and then even the sun rang me and they got it, got it and asked, could they put a picture of it up? Like, you know, he used to, he used to get T-shirts for everything off him. But um, oh, it was really was celebrating, celebrating and then, very scary because all of a sudden after 18 months of literally your life revolving around hospital suddenly you're on your own then and you're thinking what what did I do before hospitals and what do I do now and every kind of cough and every fall and every thing like you have to try and teach yourself not to be so worried about like you know mm-hmm. go and we go for our, our um, checkups every three months and I try forget about like maybe the week before and then you'd kind of be have to check on it'd be three or four days waiting for the call because cause with neuroblastoma it really does show up in the urine so even if we went for scans they'd have to send the urine off to Beaumont so I'd have to wait for them to get the urine back to know how if it was clear or not so kind of waiting for those calls and then you could breathe again and but even like the second time he relapsed um, he started limping again and I said to, uh, he was in school and I said to his teacher and she said no I didn't notice and then I said, oh, it, it was the same thing again. He could run one minute and then just this limp would mm. appear the second time. And then, so I brought him up to, rang his oncologist and I said, um, he said, yeah, bring him up. They did um, a scan and he said, yeah, he'd it, um, come back in his femur bone. The fact Cormac said we'd spotted it very early and it was, it was still contained in the one place. It was like kind of the best out of a bad situation. So then he started him on um, the chemo. The chemo. Like when we, the first time we did treatment, we would stay in for five days. And but the second time, Max was like, I don't want to do sleepovers. And it used to break my heart that sleepover was a bad thing for Max because mm-hmm. a sleepover is a fun thing a child does, you know. So we would be in for, we live in Longford, which is in the Midlands, and we'd be in for seven hours of treatment every day. So every second day, myself or his dad would drive up, sit in the hospital for seven hours and then drive him home. We'd literally only be home a couple of hours and he'd go to bed. But like the fact he didn't want to stay in at all we thought we would do what we can to keep him out of hospitals like you know so um and then you you describe there you know the 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 very real impact that it has on your life yeah 
You know, and of course, your parental instinct is you want to make your child better and whatever that takes. But there's a lot going on outside of that as well. You know, other children, careers, finances, Mm -hmm. keeping Mm -hmm. the everyday parental show on the road. Yeah, that's true. And what you're describing, I'm just, you know, I'm thinking, you know, it's just it's so much and there's so much yeah. support that's needed for families that are, mm. that are experiencing this. I had older kids who had that whole, Oh my God, it's cancer. It's automatically death. Like, so that I like, I remember my oldest, my daughter and I, I was telling her and she was like, you're very calm about it. And I was like, well, we're trying to think positive. It's like, you know, and in, inside I was worried sick, but I didn't want them to be that way with him. And it is like, you know, you five we've, we've five days in stay, but that wasn't all. Like if he got infections at all, You'd have to monitor his temperature every day. And if he's got an infection at all, we'd have to bring him to um, Mullingar Hospital. And that could mean a three-day or five-day or ten-day stay, depending on how sick he was. Like, you know, and like his his older sister started her first day of school. And I remember arguing with his dad because one of us had to be in hospital with him. And I was like, she had long hair. I was like, you can't plait her hair. I have to be there to plait her hair. Like, you know, she's... Um, be going to a party and then like she'd say to my mum are you home now and I'd be like I could, you couldn't say yeah that's it I'm home for two weeks no nothing going on because they could, did kind of get used they did miss out an awful lot mm-hmm. even with like being invited to our little friends party at school if it wasn't around to do it like you know but they did miss out and the older ones and it is trying to keep and it is a real really big financial burden as well you know like you don't that's what I was telling you the late the girl that just was really died I remember when we were first diagnosed someone said they do a benefit for us and I was like no no don't be ridiculous there's so many people out there need it more like and but when you're thinking of your up and down to hospital and like parking in Crumlin if you're not in for a week it's like 10 12 euros a day and then you're eating out and then you're trying to buy anything for the child to make them eat this or mm. you know and meanwhile you have to give up work and everything it, it is a big financial burden on the family like mm. and that's what she was saying to me because people in Longford are very good People in Longford really rally around if there's anything. And so there's a girl was running a raffle for her. And I was saying to her, you know, take it because you don't, you know, I think her husband has a very decent job, but you don't realize how much it does actually impact on you financially and the family as well, you know. But, and it's um, so important to have those people that are, that are mm, showing up for you yeah, when you mm, need it. It is. And I, that's why I said, like I was saying to her, when Max was first diagnosed, I was like, no, no, we'll be fine. And, and, um, um people had offered things and I'd be like no no there's more kids worse Mm -hmm. out than him like you know and I remember when he relapsed I was like you know I'm saying everything yes to every not money but like you know to do things for for the child he got he's got to do so many amazing things people would say we want to do this for Max and I'd be like yes yes anything that was going to put a smile on his face and that's what I even said to her and I said learn how to say yes I said people are offering to uh, help because they want to it's not just a pass and Thing. And I said, you won't realize how much you do need, you and your family do need help. Mm. For them. So that was the second time I was like, as I said, it wasn't the second time wasn't too bad. It wasn't such a financial strain, but it was like anything that one man offered to send us to Lapland. Lovely was we were like, yes, yes, he'd love that. And um, we went to Disneyland. Yes, yes, yes. You know, anything that was mm. good for him, I was quite happy to say yes to. And now I'm so delighted that all the experience that he had as a child. I like even my sister to say, my dad passed away the eight, um, the same year, three months before him, and he was 80, and he was like, God, 
Max did a lot more than his eight years than my dad did in his eight years. You know, he got to experience a lot more than than a lot of people did. So that for that, I'll always be grateful for it. And it like a lot of the time, it was strangers. It wouldn't even be like family and friends around. Like he was completely mad about wrestling, and this gentleman had a business in Limerick, and he he got his front row seat to the wrestling and and put us up in a night in the Gibson Hotel. Mm-hmm. And he never met Max. We've got we've got to do so much because of um of of um his because of the cancer anyway. So that I'm really grateful for that. It reminds me of that kind of famous line, you know, where we didn't know we were making memories, we were just yeah. having fun. Yeah, yeah. Mm, that is true, yeah. That was even like I was, I think I was telling him before, like he he wasn't too doing too bad and he'd be back in school and every day was like the first day of school because he just didn't like leaving me because he was so used to being with me so often mm. and it was like literally go in the door and he'd cry like a child on the first day and um I would literally okay bye give him a kiss and run and his teacher told me he'd be fine five minutes after I was gone but like just some days he'd say mom I'm not I'm, I'm so tired and he did he was never a very good sleeper so he was always tired if you dragged him out of bed different if he could sleep when he wants and um his sister was like two years ahead of him in school and I dropped him to school and I'd say, oh, look, I'm going to take him home. And she was like, there's nothing wrong with him at all. And I'd say, no, no, he's not that well. And I'd, we'd come home then and he'd say, I'd say, what do you want to play? And he'd say, can we play school? So I'd have to, I'd have to pretend I was a teacher and I'd have to do roll call and mm-hmm. I'd have to see him on his lunch and have to like, and I was like, he wouldn't actually go to school, but this is what he wants to play when we get home. Each September, as Childhood Cancer Awareness Month draws to a close, we pause to remember all of the children, adolescents and young adults who fight childhood cancer. Please join us in lighting a candle at 8pm on Sunday the 26th of September to honour little heroes who have gained their golden wings, who are still fighting and those who are managing their new reality in survivorship. Our work at Childhood Cancer Foundation Ireland is only possible because of generous donations from people like you. As a non-government funded organisation, you can help by sharing this podcast and by texting GOLD to 50300 and donating €4 Euro, or visit childhoodcancer.ie for more. What sounds so lovely is that despite it all, he stayed a real little boy. He was oh, a child no. and he yeah. still had no. that, that play and innocence. Mm. Yeah, he really did. Like, as I said, the... The second and third time, the treatments weren't so harsh. Like even the, in the um, the third time he was really on an oral chemo. But even when he was on the intravenous clean, um, chemo the second time, the anti-sickness tablets seemed to work for him. Whereas the first time he lost so much, like he he still lost his hair and everything. But the first time he lost so much weight and mm. he literally was skin and bone. But the second time it didn't seem to um do his energy any bad. Like he, the week that we would be in in for chemo, he might sleep a bit more. But then after that, he'd be he'd be fine like you know when he had got an awful lot of energy so take us towards i suppose the end of his journey he had cancer he did really well then he broke his ankle that was the first year that he was free then the next year when he relapsed he broke his femur so we had a lot of breaks with max he was in one of those hip casts for mm. 17 weeks of the summer going through treatment as well and um but that was fine he did he wasn't put asleep for that one because he was older they he literally would you know, and you'd have to leave him in the radiotherapy room because there's nobody in and I'd have to sit and watch him on the screen. But he was very good at staying still. And um, I got, I did get kind of hopeful again and then we cleared again. But like, as Cormac said, 
we're clear, but that's not the end. We have to keep an eye on it. And then um, the ter third time he relapsed again, and um, I, we, we were probably nearly a year on this oral chemo. So we got really well out of it, like, you know, but just we went on holiday in the May, we went to Portugal, and um, I went to take a picture of him, and I thought, oh my God, he's, he's actually, he was very tall, you know, and I thought he looked very thin in it. Uh, but he still had more energy than anyone on the holiday. Mm -hmm. And then when we came back, just I'm watching, he wasn't limping or anything then, but I was like, oh my God, he's getting very thin. And then he was kind of getting tired. So I rang Cormac and he brought him up early to this. Now, and we'd had clear scans probably about six or seven weeks before we went to Portugal. They, we did the scan, scan were clear. So it was a celebration again. And um, I brought him up and they, they did this, um, scan on that he has to literally stay still for 45 minutes while they scan every part of his body and um when Cormac rang he said his body it was completely back everywhere mm -hmm. so he all like even when he, when Max the first time he relapsed he was saying to me do you want to meet the palliative team I was like no no interest I want to meet the palliative team at all mm -hmm. like you know so he said to me um come up and have a check at this so I said I think it's time to meet the palliative team and I said and I dreaded them I thought they were all like going to be mm -hmm. um ogres coming in like you know and because mm. like a lot of people don't realize palliative really is it doesn't mean death it's pain it is pain management for a lot of people can get palliative care like palliative care and go back so um we met the palliative team in longford who were absolutely brilliant really really good but um i think they lasted about six weeks and we're like we're very lucky Sinead. he was totally alert his, his legs got sore and he um he was on morphine. Thankfully, we didn't have to put him on a drip or anything. He knew these little blue tablets. If he had a pain, they would clear and he'd ask for another mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. And right up until the morning he passed, he was um, still very alert, um, like talking to us all. And um, he'd had a bad night the night before. And like me and his dad are separated now and he'd gone home. And when I, I my sister came down and I went, she was staying with us a lot and I went to have a shower and I came back and there was just, his breathing was just gone a bit more funnier. So I rang his dad. And he came back and um, I, the older kids had got up and they'd come into the Millie was still in bed and Arva went up to her and his dad was there and I was there and his breathing started just getting very raspy. Mm -hmm. Then like, so his, he was sitting in his dad's arms and I was holding his hand and I had my other hand on his heart and you could feel the breathing get very raspy and then it started slowing down and then he stopped breathing and his dad even looked and I was like, no, I could still feel the little tiny heartbeat. I said, he's not gone yet. And um, then that stopped. Like, I think we're very privileged the way he went. It was such a lovely moment for us both because I've like, some kids have gone in the middle of a, of a seizure or, you know, or, or they're staying in hospital, which I know, but it was just, we were lucky to have him home. Lucky that all his family was around him and like that, that me and his dad were both together with him when he actually passed. So for that, I'd be, I'm really grateful for. How did you cope the following few days with having to, to you know take that all yeah. in I honestly I said to my sister now I think I was on adrenaline or something like when mm -hmm. I think now how I was the, the couple of days after like when we we had him um reposing at home and, and the funeral and um I was like you swear I was on speed or something I just like you know I was mm -hmm. um I don't think I really because it wasn't a complete you know as I said it wasn't a complete surprise to me. It's not like he ran out and got knocked down by a car. Mm. The child's fine. And then you have to deal with that. It was something like I knew all even what I wanted, although I'd put it off. I knew what way I wanted um, him. Like we had him reposed. 
on on the couch in the sitting room and we had all he's completely wrestling mad and we had all his wrestling gear like gear around him and a uh, uh, wrestling blanket over him and um um I knew I didn't want to put him into a coffin until it was actually time to go well we, we had him cremated as well and I have his ashes at home so until we were going to the church and the crematorium and um but like everyone says to me I was all chatty and even in the church you know when they're offering condolences I was getting up and hugging everybody but I did feel I was on adrenaline or something and I I kept saying to the sister maybe it's him just giving me the there was no like standing over the coffin wailing and people you know looking at you it was like um and um it was actually the, the the funeral was lovely, which is a which is a real typical Irish thing to say, isn't it? But um, he um, the funeral director we had was amazing. He was came in and he was like, you know, kids usually get a white coffin, and I was like, no, he's not a white coffin. He was a wrestler. His colours were black, red, and white, and like, mm. and we actually got him a black coffin and had the wrestling theme on, you know, the logo on it. Mm. And um, then we left the church and we were driving out, and the the funeral director decided said we're passing Max's school. And when we got to the school, he, the funeral director himself, got us a white dove. Wouldn't have been something I would have thought of at all, like, you know, but he brought this one dove and brought all the kids and me and, and his dad around and said, we're bringing Max to cabin, but we're leaving him here. And it was lovely all to let it off. Then we went out to the crematorium and it was, uh, the, and it was, it was lovely. I'd say that it was lovely out there as well. Like, you know, and um, then even he brought his, his ashes home to me four days after that and he was like I know you want to back as 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 quick as you can like you know so I am very lucky that I, I when I even now when I if I think of Max 90 well say 90% of the time it's a happy warm fuzzy feeling and then 10% it's like it's not fair and why and like 100% I miss him really miss him but like I'm lucky that if I look at my Facebook memories from like four or five six years ago they're all happy memories and it, it, most of the time and as I said, he is my favourite subject. So he still is very talked about with my friend. He, so, he meant so much to my friends as well. So it's not like nobody mentions him anymore. He's still very much talked about in, our, in the house. Mm. No doubt a lot of people listening to this aren't quite there yet, aren't yeah. feeling that 90%, 10% split of, yeah. you know, compassion and happy memories to anger and why. Yeah. Mm. Has I know there, I do consider myself fortunate that I, you know, that I, that I do feel that way. Has because, there been anything though that you have tried to do to, to help that mindset, or, you know, has it been through talking? Has it been through having support around you? I'm I'm so grateful how I feel. Like I never felt I needed counselling or anything because I still talk about him so much, and I still, like as I said my friends were very involved with Max's journey the whole way through, like, you know, and so he still is a big, even if we're having a drink, he comes up in conversation. And um, so on every, it's like his birthday is the 26th of June and his um, anniversary is the 27th. So like on his birthday and on his uh, Christmas, myself and his um, little sister, we buy like um, one for all vouchers because we can't buy him a birthday present or we can't buy him a Christmas present. And then I bring her into town and, she picks somebody out just to to give it to and we don't even give it we write a card she'll she'll have on it like we don't even explain I just say she just wants to give you that and walk away like it's not waiting for a thing or anyway like you know and like this year we're on his anniversary we went to Foley's Fall the first year we did the um Stairway to Heaven in Fermanagh which is like an amazing amazing trick 
And last year we couldn't do very much with COVID, but this year we went to Foley's Falls, had an absolutely beautiful day. And um, I always associate the most thing with me is the color yellow. With Max, yellows was always my sunshine, like, and that was my thing. So we all we all had brought we put, all put yellow roses on his coffin, and we brought yellow roses to um, put in the waterfall for him. So like it, that that is is really good, but um, I think it's for because he had such a zest for life. I don't think I'd be doing him justice if I if I was sitting here moaning and feeling sorry for myself. Like even my memories came up yesterday, the day before, and like as I said, people sent us everywhere. This one man asked, could he send me a Max to Lourdes? Which mm. like I was like, yeah, that's lovely. And we went to Lourdes for five days with a group, four days, and on the last day he um, he spiked the temperature, and we ended up in a hospital in um, Lourdes. And I'm looking at the memories of the day and. In in France, they were very like like when Max was in treatment before COVID ran, the, the nurses had come in just as normal. But in in France, they were literally all the sterile off, and they were very fond of iodine. Everything was yellow, like you know. And I'm looking back at the pictures of when he first went in the hospital. And I was like, God, that didn't come up. I didn't think about that at all. And they're they're very. If you just showed someone a picture, it looks very depressing. Him lying there, he's his eyes closed. But then by an hour later, he had one of his wrestlers, and I'm making them. Um, parachutes out of the masks you know that, that thing and an hour later he's sitting up in the bed smiling so he, I kind of really got for him when he was going through it have your moan give out this like I don't like this and I don't want this we went to Lourdes for the few days and the, the night before we were leaving he spiked the temperature so we had there was a nurse and a doctor on the trip with us and they felt he had to go to um hospital so we brought him into hospital and he needed um antibiotics, a blood transfusion and a platelet transfusion. So they started it there. They were really on and on where we're going to have to stay in France a few more days, but um, they um, rang Kremlin and Kremlin were happy for them to start an antibiotic confusion there and then let us fly home and carry on in Kremlin. But as I said, when we first went in, it was uh, compared to Kremlin's children's hospital, it was a very sterile, like the nurses were all gowned up in masks and but this was before COVID or anything. And um, but the pictures that I was looking at, there's one of them lying asleep and you can see the two nurses and it looks, I'm like, oh my God, I forgot all about that. But then flick through another pictures and an hour later, I was making a mask out of a uh, parachute. He had, a, he, was, he was completely wrestling mad and carried these plastic wrestlers everywhere. And I was making a parachute out of the mask and he's smiling again in it. So like he would have his moan, give out. And then it was like, okay, I've, I've said what I want to say and then I'll get back to being happy now. So like I kind of learned a lot for my own even life because of that with him, you know. Mm. There's um, there's so much power in play. Oh yeah, it's like, it is like, and even that's what the Children's Cancer Foundation do. The Children's Cancer Foundation brought back the play therapist which is very good for the children there, like because play is, especially a young child, play is the most important thing to them. Especially if they have, if they know that this building is all about just getting medicine, and you know, whereas if they know there's some fun parts to this building as well, it does make it easier for them. I think I've I've had this conversation with people before, where I'd be like reading a paper, and you might read about a little child who has leukemia, and like you. You just think, oh my God, that's awful. But you turn the page and it completely goes, you know, you don't think anymore about it. And you don't really think of, um, you don't really think of kids with cancer until it comes into your circle, you know, and you realize it's like the whole, um, how long a treatment, how um, 
hard a treatment is on a family and, and like the, the surrounding people, you don't actually think about that unless you know someone who's actually gone through it. It's, it's all about raising awareness and yeah. saying, you know, this is happening and what can you look out for? And, and to also for people who are on the beginning of this journey, that there is incredible and immense support from yeah. connecting with people who are part of, you know, this network um, yeah. and connecting with people who have gone through it before and, you know, connecting with those that have lost but yeah. mm. can have have such valuable insights to share. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's why I think I know I'm I like even after Max passed, I spoke to three people that um their children had been put onto palliative care, and it's um it's like stupid things that you do you know to think of because once it's like the picture when I look at Max, the pictures of Max the last couple of weeks, I don't like them because that wasn't Max to me. He was he was a bit chubbier and he was smiling. He wasn't, you know, even in these ones, though he's thin and doing his best to smile, it wasn't him. But like the whole thing of making memories and even keeping a lock of the child's hair, you know, like little things that you you might think about afterwards. And mm. and one, like we got in touch, the Laura Lynn Foundation got in touch with us and they are absolutely amazing to for kids that, especially young kids that are on palliative because they come to the house they make the most like you know they do the hand cast and make such mm. beautiful memories and they get the other kids involved and even after the child has passed they still come back to the other kids so that all of a sudden it's not just that it's gone like you know but um it's um it's nice to know it's i think that's why why i did not i handled okay because i was very friendly with a group of women that all had lost a child so even knowing that i had their support and known them and and been out with them and known that you can still laugh you know it still doesn't mean you're not missing your child. So I think that way I was kind of lucky. But um, it's always nice to speak to someone who's been, who's been through what you're actually going through now, you know. Well, thank you so much for telling us what thank you've you been much. through. Because I think it's going to be so important for those that are listening that may not know somebody who has gone yeah. through it or may this year have been disconnected from people who have gone through it. But to hear your story will give people so much support because it's just so important to keep talking. Yeah, and just I just want to say that, like, Crumlin, the, the oncologists at Crumlin, to me, would be, would be, like, some of the best in the world. And it's, like, losing a child, it's, it's not rare, but thankfully it's, they have more success rates than they do failures with it, you know, especially because leukemia being more common. So um, to lose a child is the worst thing in the world but it's not a, as common you know as I wouldn't like people to think if the child the child can just because a child is diagnosed with cancer you always hope and hopefully you will get the best outcome thank you for joining us Kathy you've done Thanks, such incredible work in in sharing your story and by sharing your story and by celebrating Max's life and the happy moments and the joy because cancer is so much more than an illness and it is so yeah. much more than the grief that follows. And yeah. I hope that, you know, people can have, have gained so much support from listening. And thanks to everyone for listening about the story about my little man. Your little wonder man. Thank you. Thanks, Sinead. Thank you for listening to this Gold Ribbon Conversation with Kathy Birmingham. There are more Gold Ribbon stories written by those fighting childhood cancer on our website, childhoodcancer.ie, or through the link in our show notes. By rating, leaving a review, 
for sharing this podcast across social using hashtag Gold Ribbon Conversations. You can help this podcast to reach more families. This podcast was produced by The Brand Story for Childhood Cancer Foundation Ireland, hosted by Sinead O'Moore and sound production by Alan Breslin. <laughs>